0: This is episode number 145, Pursuing the Ultimate Version of Ourselves, with Jess Shuradov. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Nuts Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming Courageous Conversation. This is a conversation that takes place every single week, every single Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time through Zoom, where we talk about a topic that matters most in our lives. For more information about any of these upcoming calls, go ahead and leave us a message through our website to which we'll respond with all the details. Also, if you like what you heard from any of the previous episodes, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Now, let's get back to the show. Jess welcome to the show.
1: I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to have a pre-podcast before the recording with all the different topics and the, <laughs> the themes that we were getting into. And so I just figured it's probably to the best of our advantage to hit the record button and just to pick up the conversation from there because I think there's so much wisdom and insights that was being shared in regard to this pursuit that I think many of us go on in our lives, and that's this ultimate version of who we are, the amount of money, or really just what life should be, and, and how we how a lot of our actions and beliefs drive that system and that goal moving forward. But before we get into that topic, I want to give you a chance and ask and ask you a question that will hopefully frame who you are and a little bit of your background for a lot of our listeners. And that is, who are you?
1: I love this question. So I think who I am is a work in progress. And what I mean by that is, if you had asked me that question three, four, even five years ago, I would have said, I'm a mom, and that would have been my identity, and five years ago, I would have said, all I want to be is a mom, and my husband and I went on this journey of battling infertility, and we eventually um, were able to extend, expand our family, and I have two amazing little humans now, and I think in that process, I lost who I was. Not I think, I know, I lost who I was. And it wasn't until about a year and a half ago where at, I'll never forget this, 6.03 in the morning, Mm -hmm. I was brushing my teeth with my electric toothbrush and my husband just looks at me and he says, are you happy? And I just blurted out the truth, which was no. And it was the first time in a very long time that I admitted to myself out loud and to him my my truth and it's it scared us and so that spurred me to be on this journey over the last year and a half to reclaim myself reclaim my identity and truly get to the essence of who am I and for me that's been an evolution and it will continue to be an evolution um but I'm so excited to see where that takes me because for so long I didn't have an identity my identity was my my kid's mom Mm -hmm. and now I can stand here a year and a half later on this journey and say I am me I am just Jesse whatever nickname you want to use and I am strong I know what I want and I know where I know that I will never lose that part of me again.
0: Mm. I think you've been up a really good point as far as that evolution piece and how your own definition has evolved of who you are. And I think it's an important thing to keep in mind because if you kind of think about it, how we even got here as far as humans and the evolution that we had to go through. And then what I've been curious about was kind of the... The pursuit that sometimes we go or that we take as far as those ultimatums, right? And that is in answering the question of who are you? In thinking that I have to have this concrete form to you. And I don't know what the reasoning is. Is the reason for me providing the answer to who are you in a concrete form so that you can understand? Can you not under, can the person not understand a more kind of a work in progress answer to such thing. And that's where I think I am fascinated by when it comes to a lot of these topics, happiness or finding the right job. It's like, well, what is that right job to begin with? Why does that job have to fulfill all of your needs? Why can't it just be a, just another stop along, along the journey? Or relationship I, I remember many times when I would look at relationships in thinking that man I hope that's the right one the right one for what
1: I think that it's so to answer your your first question of sort of why do we do it I think mm-hmm. it's a my personal point of view on this is it's it's the way we've been conditioned to connect to people right I have been in at a big tech company for the last 13 years. And, you know, I hung my hat on my title, I was a Googler. And for for people who don't know what that is, it's someone who works at Google. And right there was, there was a sense of pride in saying that there was a sense of pride for my parents to be able to say, their daughter has been at Google for 13 years. And so I think that we've Been conditioned to believe in the labels that we put on each other, whether consciously or not. Mm -hmm. And we've been conditioned to believe that the job title, the amount of money in your bank account, the you know, the number of trips that you've been, whatever that looks like for you and, and your culture or you know, who you've surrounded yourself by. Um, is is for the longest time what kept me going, right? I, my husband and I talk all the time about sort of keeping up with the Joneses, like that's a mm-hmm. real thing, and I believe it's 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 our culture. And it took me a long time to realize that not everyone cares about that, and it took me a long time to surround myself with more like minded people to recognize. I've never really felt comfortable in that world of labels, in that world of feeling like i constantly had to achieve the next thing there was always this voice inside of me that was always saying sort of not this but i shoved it down for so long because i didn't feel strong enough i didn't have confidence in myself mm-hmm. to break free of of those cultural confines mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's the one of the hardest things in my experience to be able to break away from, especially those that involve who are closest to you, family, friends. I was actually just talking to Laura, a mutual connection of ours the other day, and we were talking about this concept of labels and the label that we were discussing in particular was best friend. Just think about that and how we, we are conditioned to think that there's, there can only be one. When really it's like, who's to say that? Who's to say that you can only have one of those? I struggle with, Nate, with answering that when I get asked, who's your best friend? Because I can name at least five people, maybe even 10 people, who are there for me at different moments of my life and different obstacles, different journeys. And so I I think there is an important thing that you mentioned as far as continuing to question your environment, continuing to question, why does this exist the way it does? Why do I think the way I do? And then also understanding that as part of that evolution, your truth around a specific subject may change.
1: Very much so. I was laughing when you were saying the concept of best friend, because this is a a thorn in my husband's side. He always is like, I want to be your best friend. And I was like, well, I have 15. (laughs) You're one of 15 of my best friends. And I think you're hitting on something that's so important, right? Is this idea around you cannot be everything to somebody. You just can't. Mm -hmm. And there is pieces of what you're going to be able to do. and and you're so, for example, I actually just went through this exercise this week where I asked a, a, about seven different people in my life, close friends, but all from different aspects of my group of friends. So like friends that I've been um, I've known since we were eight, friends that I had in college, um, some work friends, some mom friends. and I asked them all the question, What do you turn to me for? Hmm. And I was curious to see if how I showed up and if I showed up differently in amongst those different groups of friends. And what was interesting is that while they all said things in different ways, they didn't use the same words, they all unequivocally said they turned to me for a judgment free sounding board for advice and for an empathetic ear. And it was really it was sort of my aha moment where I I can be I can put on a lot of different hats but that's exhausting.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so why can't I just be that empathetic ear, that judgment free zone And just be comfortable with that and be okay with that and know that they can come to me and they will come to me versus trying to be everything for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it goes back to this notion of being able to understand who you are and your strengths and what lights you up. Once you recognize that in yourself and I'm, it, I'm talking about this, as if it's like very easy to do I'll be there overnight
2: first it's, <laughs> yeah it's not
1: easy right like it took me a very long time to to be able to be even comfortable having this a conversation like this and but the reality is is like now that I am comfortable in my own skin and recognizing that that is that is something that is intrinsically part of me it always has been And I'm okay with that. And heck, I, I like that part of me. Like, how do I do more of that? How am I more of that to more people versus trying to put on all these hats where I can do it. I can, you know, do number crunching in an Excel spreadsheet till the cows come home. Do I like it? Does it light me up? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, it's thinking about, I've always operated my life this way. And it's this very, um, Opposite of how culture tells us to live our lives. Mm-hmm. I've never had in my mind this big idea of like a dream job or a dream title. I've always sort of known that I've wanted to eventually like run my own business. What that looks like, I still have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I've always operated under this idea of, well, I'll try this thing and these are the aspects that I don't like about it. And mm-hmm. so but this I did like. So, how do I do more of this? And then, oh, I tried this thing, but it didn't, I didn't like X, Y, and Z. And so I won't do that. And so it's just sort of my path in life has actually been a lot of jumping around and not very linear, which is very opposite than I think a lot of people operate.
0: Do you find yourself, do you ask yourself a different set of questions or what do you do differently before? Let's say you go into accepting a new job. Like, do you, do you, it sounds like you, you operate a lot from the growth mindset. And that is before you go into experience. Well, I'll speak for myself and not for you in this case, but before I go into certain experiences, I try and position it from the point of view of what can I learn from this? What is this here to teach me? Do you, do you ask similar questions? Like, how do you, how do you frame that experience that you're about to embark on?
1: Yes. So I definitely ask myself questions. And for me, it always comes down to, am I going to be challenged? I'm someone who has always operated on wanting to challenge myself both physically and mentally. And so when I am evaluating a new opportunity and to be fair, it's always been a new operated, a new opportunity within Google. Like mm-hmm. I've I've been at Google for 13 years, but I've held numerous positions within the company. And for me, it's always what am I going to learn? Am I going to be challenged? Are there aspects of this job that I'm that align with my skill sets and my strengths? Mm-hmm. And is that the majority of the job? I think so often we accept positions that either look good on paper or we feel like it's like the next natural step for our um, career trajectory, Mm -hmm. but they might not actually let us up. So I'll give you an example of this. I had the opportunity to apply for a director role at Google. They're very hard to get. They're super competitive Mm -hmm. and, given my age too it it was um it was sort of looked upon that i was like a long shot i made it to the final rounds and i ultimately didn't get the job and i'll be honest i was definitely bummed that i didn't get it like there was some ego there mm-hmm. but when i was really honest with myself around what that job would afford me It honestly was just an ego thing that I wanted to be able to say I was going to be a director at Google. I would have been one of the youngest people made director. and But at the heart of the job, there wasn't enough to really challenge me and keep me interested. But yet I still tried to pursue it because I thought it was the, the right thing to do and the thing that was going to be the next natural progression in my career. Mm. And so it's interesting because, you know, the universe has a funny way of working. Mm. Ultimately, I'm glad I didn't get the job because then I would be in a position that I know in my heart of hearts would have been interesting, but not the right role for me.
0: Why is it important for you to be challenged?
1: That's a good question. I think for me, to be challenged means to learn, to fail, to learn from those failures, and to grow. And so, I I'm not a huge risk taker. I I um, and I think that again also is probably some social conditioning where. Um, again, I, I I mentioned that I have always known I wanted to own a small business, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily know what that looks like. And so, you know, when I have conversations with people, they're like, "Well, but like, what's your business plan?" And I'm like, "I don't have a business plan. Like, I I know I know if I ever left Google, I could do something, and I would be able to to make it work. I just I know that about myself. And so, I don't know if I can necessarily put Like my finger on why I like to be challenged but I think Mm -hmm. it has something to do with feeling like I'm learning I'm failing learning from that failure and constantly growing
0: Mm -hmm. I remember a couple it's been a couple months by now I came across a Will Smith video and it's a one minute clip during which he was talking about Uh, Fail early, fail fast, fail forward. It's been really interesting because this week what I've done is kind of done a deeper dive into failure. Like, What does failure actually mean to you? And help myself reframe failure into different ways of thinking, different ways of seeing. And I, I think I've been very curious to explore a lot of these topics because I think when it comes to failure you oftentimes only hear the negative side of it. And I've been curious to know, well, if there's a negative side, then there has to be a positive side as well. And what is that side? And it's like what you said, the learning, the growth that happens, the perspectives that you get developed along that journey. So it's fascinating to have this conversation and also understand that just through a simple dialogue, your own beliefs and thoughts around the particular subject can shift completely.
1: Yeah. And I think so many of us are afraid of failure because of just the nature of it, right? Like you could get hurt. Like our brains are wired to protect us. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of putting yourself in harm's way or putting yourself in a situation where you might fall on your face, right? You're, You're brain is naturally going to tell you not to do that. And so you consciously have to fight against it. But for me, the opposite of failure is opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful to have worked for a company for the last 13 years where that was our motto for a very long time, right? Fail, fail fast and iterate. And Mm -hmm. so I think that even prior to Google, when I went to school, I went to Northeastern University in Boston and we had a co op program. And again, so many of my friends and, and classmates had this idea of what their path of co op was going to be. And that just isn't it just, it just, it how my brain is wired. I sort of was like, oh, this one looks interesting. Oh, I didn't like <laughs> the fancy of this one. And then I'll, I'll do so. My co ops were like in admissions at Northeastern as a, um an agency for healthcare and biotech where I was a copywriter. Mm -hmm. And so like on the outside, those have nothing to do with one another. And I probably looked like someone who, you know, was just sort of floundering. But in those, each of those experiences, I learned what I didn't want. So at the agency, crazy turnover, crazy amount of burnout. I knew I never wanted to work for an agency, but I loved working with clients. And Google came knocking and it was all working with clients. And I was like, yes, that is what I want. And so, and that's just how I've sort of always operated. And so there have been times, right, where I've taken a job or taken a risk and I have failed. And yes, my immediate reaction, you know, the inner dialogue is, oh, like you failed again how how could you do that you knew the risk you knew you you should have prevented this but it takes you know the stronger voice in me and this has come with a lot of practice to recognize you no know, like what can i learn from this what did you learn from this what would you do mm-hmm. differently mm-hmm. and being able to coach myself and now as a people manager coach my team i think has made all of the difference in being able to create an environment for both myself and my team where we enable each other to take risks.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think much of that comes from letting go of the control and just embracing the fact that life, there's so much unknown within it. And the control that I think we oftentimes try to gain over a particular experience or an event oftentimes doesn't actually produce the results that we envision. In fact, I would say 99% of the time, whatever we envision, it always comes in a different way or a different shape. And I think that's once again, it goes back to the point of the desire to control from kind of the human side of it, which leads me into something that you started to talk about briefly. And that is the management that you're a part of right now. How do you? Because I I know that you and I briefly spoke about this prior to the rec- recording, and one of the things that you mentioned about yourself, or at least a aspect of yourself that you were that you had prior when you first started at Google, and it was the micromanaging. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of it's based on wanting to control.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Where does that come from? And then, do you still feel like you are? Like that, or have you evolved into some other form or version of that?
1: That's a good question. And I think you're hitting on something that is so intrinsically part of, of a human nature, which is control, right? If, mm-hmm. if I can control every aspect of my life, I will never fail. I will never be hurt. I will never feel pain. And in our society, we don't like feeling pain. I can speak from someone who spent six years on an infertility journey who finally got pregnant and you know unfortunately lost my daughter's twin brother in my second trimester I speak from experience that I'm very good at shoving emotions down not dealing with them and Mm -hmm. like locking things up and throwing away the key Mm -hmm. and I can say on the other side of that is when you finally deal with those emotions there is a relief that i didn't even know existed but it's hard work so i give that context because i think so many of us are it is just within our nature to to suppress because that is what we've been taught growing up
2: Mm. and
1: so for me when i became a manager four and a half years ago my reaction was or my natural inclination was to micromanage right like I had gotten to this point because I was a successful person who was able to move up the ladder at Google. And of course, my way is the best way. And so everyone on my team should do it my way. And what I had to learn was that is the worst thing that you Mm -hmm. can do as a manager. And I had to, I had to listen to that hard feedback to hear. I had to be, go inside myself and think about the worst managers I had ever had at Google. And they were the ones who felt like they needed to control the situation. And so it took, you know, some vulnerability. It took some being humble. It took being able to admit that I was wrong, which is not easy to do, let's be honest. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: have a conversation with my team to say, I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. I've been in your shoes and it's not fun. I'm sorry. I think that's really important as a manager to be able to acknowledge when you're wrong and admit that and admit that I'm a human i'm gonna I'm gonna try, but I also need their help and their feedback along the way to create the team and the environment that that we want as as a team and mm. so it wasn't you know it wasn't overnight. it wasn't like I became this. Non micromanager, the next day, it was a lot of taking a step, failing, taking two steps, one step back, and a lot of test and iterate. But I am pretty confident because we take a lot, we get a lot of feedback at Google that mm-hmm. I have reached a point where now, as a manager, I'm very much a coach and I very much try to empower my team to think about how can they achieve their goals? What does that look like? And yes, I am there to create the vision. I am there to give the overall picture, but it's up to them to figure out how they're going to get there. And I'm here as a founding board along the way.
0: Mm -hmm. A lot of what you just said made me think of the following that, and this is something that I wrestle with a lot. And it's this concept that there's a balance. There's a work-life balance. I believe it's just one and it's just life. And whatever comes into your life, you can look at as work, as all these other categories. And so I'm kind of curious to know from your perspective, because it sounds like the way that you were able to operate at Google, as far as the manager role, probably translated into your family life as well. And your friends, I mean, even the question that you mentioned at the beginning of of this conversation, when we were talking about, you had mentioned how you had asked each and every one of your friends, how do you see me or something along those lines? It made me think of that takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of courage to go into your network and ask them a deep question like that. And also knowing that some of the answers you may receive may not sit with you well. It may take you a little bit of time to process because there are friendships and relationships in our lives from my perspective that I neglect just because I think that there are other priorities that need to be met, that there are other things that require my time. And so in asking that question of an individual, who you might not have the best friendship or relationship with. That's probably a tough piece of feedback to receive.
1: It is. And I, um, you know, we have a saying that feedback is a gift. And my team always laughs at me when I say that. But it's (laughs) true. I do believe it. And, And you don't always like the gift that you get, right? Like sometimes you get a gift and you're like, the forced smile. Thank you so much. Um, but it it is a gift no matter how you look at it. If it's constructive or positive. And the reality is is you're not always going to get positive feedback, right? Like we're all human. We're all going to screw up at some point. And I mm-hmm. think that what makes us human is the ability to admit when we're wrong, which is not easy to do. I fully admit that. Um, but I I think it's really important. I think it's really important to acknowledge that you know even though I'm a manager, I am a person and I struggle and I think it's even more important now in the world of COVID-19 that we acknowledge that so I also am not a fan of the work life balance term. I don't I think it's a bunch of BS.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
1: I think that it all blends together and while I think there are aspects of me as dressed at work that might be slightly different than me as dressed in my day to day. It's probably more me leaning into like skills that I don't want to do anyway at work that I have to do because it's my job. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: But the essence of me is the same regardless of the role that I'm playing or the hat that I'm wearing. And so for me, I think about, um, Why that matters, and how I can be showing up to be of service to no matter who I'm talking to, regardless of where they come in my life.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And you know, just to go back to your original point on like the giving up control yes, like I was able to learn that at work. But the reason why I was able to learn that at work was when my husband and I were struggling with infertility. For anyone who has struggled with that before it is like the biggest lesson in giving up control you literally have no control even though I tried my damnedest to control that entire process I just couldn't and I think for me that was my first sort of wake-up call to this life that I'd been trying to control so many things I I wasn't able to anymore and then my next wake-up call was when I did become a parent Man, parenting is like a whole nother beast in another cell. <laughs> <laughs> my my oldest daughter, I mean both my daughters, but my oldest in particular, I always say she's a mirror. And she is a mini version of me and then some. And so being able to see life through her eyes um has also really helped me to give up control. And as you can see in my example, when I became a manager, I didn't, I didn't get it right off the bat. Right. But I was mm-hmm. able to recognize that, Oh, if I was able to give up control and parenting and you know, my daughter, my oldest daughter is four, she's still alive. So I'm doing something right. She might not be Amazing. happy all the time, but um, she is, she is cared for, she's loved. And, and, and so for me, that's a win. And so, you know, why can't I try it at work? And, And it seems to have been working for me.
0: Mm. That is, there's a lot that's said within that that resonates with me, and I think the the concept about control, as I mentioned to you earlier, in the growth of kind of our organization, and that's something that I've having to, not even had to, currently having to confront, and that's really just letting go of some of these elements that you believe to be critical to the growth of in a platform, organization, movement, whatever way you want to look at it, and understanding that part of that process, when you give up that control, people will make mistakes. That's a given. People will make mistakes just like you make mistakes. And that's, I think, the, the, the probably ever-going challenge that, we'll, that I will experience is just that concept that, People will make mistakes and but you, you need other people though. That's the thing. It's literally been proven through many case studies that you need other people in order for you to get to wherever it is that you envision ongoing. And so part of that you have to involve others and you have to almost like quote unquote allow room for error. A hundred percent
1: and the reality is is as you add more people to your team, there's both the benefit rate right, of of help. but I also view it as you're getting different perspectives, right? And so yeah. there's so much research that talks about having a diverse and equitable you know team and being able to have you know different perspectives. like that makes everybody better. and I'll, you know, it's it's hard, it's hard as a as a leader to, to relinquish control. I'm not saying that it's easy. But I think it goes back to if people feel empowered, if people feel excited about the vision, if they feel like they have a stake in the in the game, if they know their leader is a human, and we all make mistakes, they do too. And they admit that I think that more people are I can only say for myself, that's Mm -hmm. the type of leader I want to work for. And I'm grateful that I work for right now. Um, And so that is what I try to emulate in my my own leadership style. Mm
0: -hmm. How do you come to terms with with the following? Not everyone is going to be as passionate as you are.
1: I think that's a great question. And for me, it comes down to motivation. Everyone has their own motivation. And so one of the first questions I ask anybody on my team when they join my team is what motivates you and sometimes you know i i the team that i'm on on google we're a sales organization so sometimes it's money sometimes it's learning new things being challenged and to me it's unpacking what those motivations are and then understanding that we're all going to have aspects of our job that we don't love Mm. that's just that's just life unfortunately Mm -hmm. and 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 if someone on this podcast in the audience has a job that they love every aspect of it please let me know because i would love to to pick. (laughs) but i have yet to experience that and so i think that for me as a leader i've always found it important to ask what motivates people because i find that if you can give people projects or if you can give them parts of the project that continue to motivate them it balances out the aspects of the role or the job that they might not feel as passionate about. um, And it creates a a better work environment. So for me, understanding what motivates my team, where they want to go in their career and then helping them get to that path. My goal as a leader isn't to keep people on my team for five, 10, 15 years. My goal as a leader is to understand what motivates them, what drives them, what gets them up in the morning, and help them then find that next role, be it Google, be at another company, so that they are continuously learning and growing and fulfilling their needs and
0: desires. That's a really interesting take. And the reason why I say that is because it puts two things in perspective, the time or the length that you stay with any organization. But then also, like, how does that play a part of your larger dream? And what I've learned, or I guess what I'm learning as we speak, and the couple months to a year prior to this, is the importance of creating spaces where you can better understand the person's dream and also understand that because they are working with you right now, it, your dream doesn't have to be their dream. It's just there's something about your dream that may resonate with them that they want to help you achieve your dream, maybe with the thought that they will also achieve theirs simultaneously. And I think that that's a really interesting point to take away from what you just said, because what I've learned is that I think so much of it is based on, hey, help me achieve my dream. And then from there, we can kind of wipe our hands and, and move on. But it's, it's not really about that. It's And I think the thing that you brought up about understanding people and their motivations is really critical to building an effective team to begin with.
1: It's worked for me. And hopefully it, it can work for others because at the end of the day, we're all humans, right? We all want to be seen and we want to be heard. And you want that in all aspects of your life. You want it at work. You want it at home. You want it with your friends and family. And I think the hardest thing, and I think about my parents. So my dad worked at his the company that he worked for for over 30 years. He only has his associate's degree, but was able to work his way up in the company to a leadership position. Mm-hmm. And for him, I... I like, I love him to pieces. But all I remember from my dad growing up, like from a work perspective, was like, you just have to do it. Like, he never seemed to like, love his job. Mm. And I'm not saying I love every aspect of my job. But there is, you know, enough motivation in what I do every day that keeps me going back to work and keeps me excited and interested. And I think that has to do with the fact that, I work in an environment where they understand that I am a human and they want to give me projects that motivate me both from a professional standpoint, but also a personal standpoint.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious to know one thing, and this is something that has been kind of, I guess you could say a broken record when it comes to this, this phrase or this question. And it's like, you have to love your job. And I've always questioned that because it's like, is that the only way to get fulfillment? Is that the only way to understand that whatever you're doing has meaning or purpose?
1: So my honest answer on that is no, I don't think your job has to fulfill you, nor do I think it should fulfill you. Um, I think you should, each of us are going to have our own, our own answer to what fulfills us. And I think for those of us that are lucky, that is, work it is life like that there are pieces of all of that that fulfill us and and it's all one I think for myself there's parts of me that work fulfills but there are bigger parts of me like my personal discovery journey my my kids my family Mm -hmm. that also fulfill me and sometimes in greater ways and it's a balance and for me I I don't at least I have not experienced this yet. Maybe I will talk to me in 50 years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I, again, like I go back to, and again, this is how I probably live my life and it drives my husband's nuts, but I, I don't have a Holy grail. I don't have this idea of what my dream job would look like. If you ask me what my dream job was, I don't think I could articulate it to you because I think there are aspects of so many different parts of my life that would actually fit into that both from a professional standpoint and a personal standpoint. And so for me, I think the better question to ask is what is your dream? What does that mm. look like? And listen to what they say and there might be aspects of a person's job in it, there might be aspects of, you know, personal life. It might be a mix of all of those things, but I think that understanding That is a much more interesting question and answer than tying all of your you know, label and your self-worth to to one title.
2: Mm. And I go
1: back to how I sort of started this question, the question that you asked me of who I am, for so I say that because for so long, I hung my identity on you know, this label of Googler, and then this label of mom. And I, I had lost myself, I didn't know who I was, I wasn't happy. And so while on the outside, I had it all, you know, by society standards, Mm -hmm. on the inside, I had nothing. And so for me, it's less about the label and less about the title and more about do I feel aligned? And do I feel aligned in all aspects of my life? And if not, What do I need to change?
0: Mm -hmm. And I think the topic that you just brought up as far as having it all and then having nothing is interesting because for me, I think those two things coexist at every given moment of your life. I mean, if you think about how you even learn different things, as soon as you begin the process of wanting to learn about X, Y, and Z, and then you hit this point where you feel like you know everything about it. And then someone asks you a question that you don't know an answer to. It makes you feel like you know nothing about it because it just went even deeper and deeper. And so I think the battle in thinking that, Oh, I just, it's kind of a black or white, but rather, I mean, the world and life is gray. There are no ultimatums to any of it when it comes to the job. And, and I, I love the question that you ask as far as what is my dream because it gives you a broader landscape to go from. If your dream is that, then there are multiple ways that you can get to that dream. Not necessarily through that job. Your family relationship may lead to elements of that dream.
1: A hundred percent. And I think that the best question we can all ask ourselves both from a long-term dream perspective, but honestly, the question that I ask myself every morning is what do I need today? And that, that answer that comes to me is different every day. Sometimes it's not, um, Hmm. it's been a lot of surrender recently in COVID life. Um, but, um, and I think what you're hitting on is so important, right? It's like, how do you come home to yourself and ask yourself, what do I need? What does that look like? And what are the steps I'm going to take today to be true to that? And sometimes that will be at work. Sometimes that will be with family. Sometimes that will be in, you know, a hobby or whatever, or passion, like whatever that looks like for you. And I think it's okay. Like give yourself the grace to know it's okay that it looks different every day. And that, your path might not be "quote unquote" linear by, you know, society standards, but that's okay as long as you feel aligned and you feel like you are fulfilling your purpose. And I think, again, I can only speak for myself. For so long, I followed sort of like society's guidelines of what success looked like by going to college, getting a good job, you know, quote, unquote, good job right out of school. Like when I started Google, we had just been named the best company to work for in the world. Right. And I actually turned it down. And my dad was like, you don't turn Google down. I was like, no, no, I think I might. And he was like, no, no. (laughs) You know, like 13 years later, it was a good decision. But um, I followed this very very linear path by society standards but that wasn't always fulfilling me and now I'm at a point in my life where I can recognize that but I also know to ask myself what do I need and ask like I I also have learned to ask for that which as a woman is very hard to do I think as a human it's very hard to do but as women in particular it's it's harder to do um and i think that's important so for anyone listening i think give yourself that grace and um if you are able to find alignment in whatever that looks like for you then i think you're on the right path
0: elaborate more on the last part the asking for help why is that difficult
1: again i can only speak for myself but i i i i've very much struggled it sort of goes back to what we were talking about in terms of control right if you if you are controlling everything then you don't need to ask for help you've got Mm -hmm. it and what I've learned is both a leader and as a human and as a mom I can't I can't do it all I just can't and I need help and so we live in Chicago we don't live near family and so I've had to create a tribe of friends of a nanny, of a babysitter, of people that I rely on. I sort of sometimes joke that I've paid for my tribe, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you need a community and you need to be able to be comfortable enough with that community to ask for help for big things and small things. And I think for women in particular, that concept is very hard because society says that we shouldn't ask for help, that we should be super moms, that we should be doing it all. We should be giving everything to our children and not taking anything for ourselves. And if there's anything I learned in the last year and a half is this, you know, self-discovery journey is I have to put my own oxygen mask on first or else I'm not of service to anybody.
0: Mm. Wow. That That's a really powerful statement because, and I can definitely relate, I've struggled to ask for help until... Somewhat recently, and then I just started to understand more and more that you need other people. You need other people's perspectives, you need other people's way of thinking, and you need other people and other ways to help you. And I think that the challenge that becomes, and it really boils down to what you just said as far as letting go of the control and and thinking that, oh, I can solve it. Just give me enough time and I can find a solution. When in reality, that's not a productive way to do it because you're going to take so much more time in the possibility of finding a solution when you could just ask someone else who might be able to assist you.
1: And what I want to underscore there is you're right. You could do it yourself, but is it your passion? Does it feel aligned to you?
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: if it doesn't, you're taking away an opportunity for somebody who is passionate about that, who does feel aligned, who's probably, Going to be able to do it faster, whatever, and, and enjoy it versus you sitting there and slogging through something that you're right, you probably could do, mm-hmm. but why do it if, if it doesn't feel aligned?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to achieving your dream, the other thing that I'll mention is it's a combination of both, right? It's a combination of your will as well as the help of others. And I, I know one of the things that I've learned or I'm trying to learn more and more of every single day is when I get asked the question of how'd you get here. And the preconditioned way of thinking was to acknowledge other people first. But then I, I remember I watched this video. I'm pretty sure it was Snoop Dogg. And he <laughs> was asked the question of something along the lines of, who are you grateful for? And he said, me. And I he acknowledged that. himself for all of the challenges, all the moments he continued to keep going and not give up face the pain, face the challenge. And I just thought that was a, such an interesting perspective because for me, the tendency was to list other people first. And that's just how I was conditioned to think, that you have to thank others first because they were the ones that opened the door for you. And it's not to say that people aren't. for Without a doubt, people are opening doors for you. But at the same time, I think it's a combination of both. It's your will, your effort and other people who are batting on your behalf and helping you get through the doors or even find the doors that Do you, you didn't even know existed. So I just thought that was a very interesting perspective how he shared it. And he just said, I'm grateful for myself.
1: I love that. That's a great example.
0: Mm-hmm. Jess, what is the best way that people can connect with you, with your work, anything that you have coming up that people can be a part of?
1: Yes. So I thank you for asking. I recently launched a podcast called This Is My Truth. And my mission is to create community and connection through sharing personal stories. I truly believe that we all have moments in our life that we have felt alone or isolated or have thought, gosh, I'm the only one who's ever experienced that. And it's true that all of our experiences are unique. But what's not true is that we cannot learn and glean and make connections from other people's stories. So um, the, the best way to listen um, on the podcast is it's available on all major platforms, iTunes, Google Podcasts, um, Anchor, Spotify. You can also follow me on Instagram at, at This Is My Truth Podcast, as well as my website, which is www.jessiesherloff.com.
0: I love the name, by the way. This is my truth. That's such Thank a, you. it's such an important thing to acknowledge and also understand that whatever, whatever you believe to be true, that's the truth. And that's, I think, one of the things that I got from your show is the importance of understanding that just because I believe something to be true five or 10 years ago, it's okay for that definition to evolve over time. Yeah. I don't have to stick to the past and thinking that. Oh, this is how it was, therefore, that's how it has to be, and that kind of goes back to how you and I even started the conversation around the concept of who are you, and that is the the desire to control it, and that is the desire to think that who I am today is the ultimate version of who I can be when really in reality it's always it's a it's a never ending process.
1: I think that when we think or make a decision that we can no longer grow, that is the the worst thing to do because we can all learn and grow and we might not like all of it, right? We might not like what that looks like, but there is such strength in being able to go through that process and continue to evolve and, The journey might not be easy, but the rewards are just amazing.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.